So many of our members live in London, and the reason they live in London is because of the thing that we want to campaign against, which is how the UK is structured to filter everyone into the South. Filter money, talent downwards. If you're Northern, and I, I lived in Hackney, I'm aware that Hackney isn't a place with streets paved of gold, right? Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. I'm Jack Evans, and in this episode, I talk to Philip Proudfoot, the founder of new political party, the Northern Independence Party, a democratic socialist party founded in 2020 to fight the injustice of the North-South divide. You do not have to be Northern or in the North to enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, please consider recommending us to your buds leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, or if you fancy, chucking us a few coins at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party. Please now prepare your body and mind for the app. Before we get into anything else, I think I have to ask you this question. What okay. is the North? By which I mean, where precisely do we build the wall, the moat, <laughs> and the giant drawbridge? So... That's one of the most common questions we get when we understand that what counts as the North is like a shifting cultural, social idea mm -hmm. in the, on this island. So when we draw the border, we're trying to be as fluid as possible. But we're basically going to, you know, go, we're going to include controversially Cheshire, mm -hmm. then all of Yorkshire, big Yorkshire, Whoa. all the divisions, bits of Yorkshire, all of Yorkshire, and then the bordering areas where there's a certain cultural affinity with the North. We advocate for um, small localized referendums of secession to join yeah. the North. So places like, I don't know, like, there's a lot of questions about Scunthorpe, and I think we are officially including yeah, Scunthorpe. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about Scunthorpe. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically, we want to have, well, we're going to go with sort of the official, sort of um, legally parliamentary recognized idea of the North, and then allow others to slowly join us and to join the Northern, um, a Northern state, mm -hmm. Northumbria. I think go diagonally from the Humber to yeah. maybe even the Severn Estuary. Connect yeah. them up. When you say fluid border, we can yeah. have a sort of giant <laughs> me mega moat. Um, well, I, yeah. Well, when it comes to like the border infrastructure, we're considering like drywall because there's a lot of talent around drywall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just plastering. I love it. Because um, that's like I've seen like the most some absolute nitpickers who are like, "Oh, you're saying yeah. Northumbria," and I understand why you yeah. want to say Northumbria because yeah. if you say North of England, you're still defining yourself with England, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas uh, Northumbria, you know, was a historical place, although obviously it's north of the Humber. So like yeah. that, which would if you just took that literally. You know, yeah. you can nitpick her and go like, well, actually, technically, Liverpool and Manchester and Sheffield are all south of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Are they but not also, if you want to, yeah. 
But if you want to nitpick, Northumbria as a kingdom also went all the way up to Edinburgh, and no <laughs> one seems to like. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not going into Scotland here. And like the nitpicking around that is really interesting because you have like first you have the sort of historian nitpickers who are yeah. like, well, actually, I think you'll find that doesn't exactly align. As if like all <laughs> nations aren't invented anyway. Like, yeah. obviously, we're just reinventing it. We took the name because, like you say, it's cooler on the mm. one hand. Like Northern <laughs> England, England. No yeah. one wants to be England. No. So, like, if you say I'm Northumbrian, it exactly. sounds a lot better than just saying I'm Northern English. Or I'm a Northerner, fine, but like North of what? Like, yeah. saying Northumbria is the way in which we can cement this idea of a state, like, of, of, of a Northern identity. And then it makes people think of cool name. Vikings as well. Because cool the Vikings, Viking. Nazis yeah. keep trying to claim, like, Vikings for some reason, and it's really yeah. annoying. Uh, yeah, so, so that's, the other, that's the other nitpicky <laughs> historian. So those, like, oh, progressive right. historians who are like, oh, you're playing with all of these, like, right-wing things. Well, <sighs> actually, if you look at all of our messaging, all of the things we yeah. put out, all of the statements we make, we're taking that, and we're actually complicating, nuanced saying making progressive that history mm-hmm. and we're not we're saying instead of just like i mean we'll probably get onto this but the, yeah. the way the way in which i felt it's feel it's often gone with like this sort of northernness mm-hmm. is that it's been ignored by elements yes. of the left and yeah. allowed to fester and grow and become associated with right-wing sort mm-hmm. of nationalism mm-hmm. and we're saying no you're not allowed to do that basically and, yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to like draw attention to these great moments in our northern history if we say what is the north the second question there is like who who is a northerner and the idea of a northerner in the english popular consciousness is a straight white man with like fag yellow teeth who loves nukes and hates foreigners the only northerner that um the sort of london political class is interested in because there was never it's one of the things that frustrated me about the sort of corbyn project in the labor party is there was never ever any curiosity about the massive groundswell um, of, of a sort of very diverse uh, popular base, a lot of whom are in the north, and there was no mm. curiosity about going to do vox pops from them or asking them about why they thought what they did in the same way that they'd get some like some bell who loves UKIP. It drives me yeah. crazy. It mm. drives me crazy. It's like what they do is they so like there are two things. There are two elements of them, then a lot of it mm. actually emerges, I think, from like centralisation. So yes. there's a centralised London cl- uh, media class, and then there's a centralised sort of political activism in this country. So, and they and they mutually feed off each other. Yeah. Basically, what they do is they go to elites and find someone drinking in the middle of the day mm. who says something horrendous and racist, and then this becomes the popular notion of what is the North. Yeah. And then I like I because I lived in London for a long time, and I talk about the North, and I talk about the North to people I would consider comrades and yeah. they would have exactly the same ideas of the North. They'd think that it's basically just all like pies, rain, <laughs> bigots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I just don't understand it. Like recently, there was quite a successful post we did around Windrush is that mm. like Windrush, the way it gets remembered is is London, right? But yeah, there was yeah, a huge yeah, yeah. Windrush generation in Liverpool. Yeah. And, like, and like Liverpool really, of all of the places I think shouldn't fit within this imagination and the people in the South should know about is Liverpool doesn't really fit this stereotype that people have mm. anyway. Mm. But nonetheless, it doesn't seem to lessen it, you know, like it's it's this sort of homogenous crap just keeps coming. And I mean, like, obviously we see it now yeah. and how it manifests politically with Keir Starmer's um, a, a, a new strategy, which flag is shagging. flags on. Flag shagging. Because yeah. like, I love this country. I'm proud of this country. And you know what, what, what this is the thing that really like, gets to me is that when I grew up in the Northeast, right? Yeah. If, there was a house that was flying the Union Jag, uh-huh. Union Jag, Union, <laughs> Union flag, Union the but, flag. The butcher's apron. 
the butcher's apron. If it was a, <laughs> if there was a house flying the butcher's apron, yeah. your mum would say, "Stay away from them. They're weirdos." Yeah, they were the yeah, weirdos. Yeah, yeah. Like they were the weird people who were maybe in the BNP, and like mm-hmm. there was one next to my granddad's house, and my granddad was embarrassed about it, and we were always told not to play near there. And now that's official Labour Party strategy is to appeal to those weirdos. It's a, it's, it's like a specific regional version of the authentocrats yeah. thing. The North is seen as this like weird signifier of authentic working class and there's like a feedback yeah. loop between those two yeah. things. And obviously there's loads of rich Tory pricks in the North as well, which is like maybe yeah. something we, I presume you have to kind of strategically address. Yeah. Well, we did pro- we did manage to like actually provoke that conversation, that, yeah. that moment of Twitter beef uh, between yes. um, Ash Sarker quoting Owen Hathaway's book mm-hmm. um, and then lots of people with our symbols getting very angry on Twitter about it. And I think they're fair and right to be angry about it because if you look at how that debate played out, like we were constantly just being assigned a position that we didn't have, which is that we think everyone in London is rich. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. We, like so many of our members live in London, and the reason they live in London is because of the thing that we want to campaign against, which is how the UK is structured to filter everyone into the South, filter money, capital, talent downwards. So they are at people like if you're northern, and I, I lived in Hackney, I'm aware that Hackney isn't a place with streets paved of gold. London has the highest child poverty rate in England, right? There's yeah. 700,000 children, um, yeah. 37% of all children in London live in relative poverty. And yeah. one of the what is one of the key reasons they live in poverty is because London property prices and rent are ridiculously high. Yeah. So yeah. the one of the things that's putting those people in poverty is a symptom of that inequality because of the super rich in London and the property and the sort of parasitic uh, kind of capitalist system driving up prices for this like false economic bullshit financialized economic growth. Um, And then these, the working class of London are the people who suffer under the boot of that. And it's the same, that exact same process, you know, the sort of decimation of the North is another consequence of the same process of like yeah. London sucking yeah. people in. The, the Scots hear this, the Welsh hear this. Yeah. Now it's yeah. getting used on you, which is like, well, don't yeah. you need London? It's like, yeah. is, London's the driver of the economy. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, can you yeah. explain that a little bit? Can you explain okay. the yeah. effect of London on the country? You know, there's that famous line that Boris Johnson said that I think sums up the sort of pyramid scheme of the UK economy best, which is he said, if a pound spent in Croydon is far more a value to the country from strict utilitarian calculus than a pound spent in, in Strathclyde. Indeed, you will generate jobs and growth in Strathclyde far more effectively if you invest in Hackney or in Croydon or in other parts of London. A pound spent in Croydon is infinitely more valuable than a pound spent in Strathclyde. Right? So yeah. that, that's, that is the governing sort of trickle-down investment logic that mm. operates in the UK that be- but it's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So because London already has the best transport, the best infrastructure, mm-hmm. the best and brightest talent, it obviously makes more sense mm-hmm. to invest that pound in Croydon economically because yeah. you get more value for money. Yeah. But if you conceptualize everything through value for money, mm-hmm. then you neglect the quality of life of people living outside of the capital. And, and, and all that investment will keep filtering in because the UK economy is a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And... When we talk about this, you know, it's not even a radical, like, although I think the proposition is radical, we can look at our European neighbours and see ways in which it can be actually done differently without requiring some, like, drastic revolution. Like, if you look at, like, Denmark, for instance, 
like when I spoke to some comrades in the SNP about like NIP and our like um, our ideas, they pointed out that you know you can take something really basic. If you look at Denmark, all of their major roads go north, south, east, west, right? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. In England, they all just go south. Everything just goes south. Mm-hmm. So that's the way in which it's like established. And the next thing you said is like yeah about about you know do we need London? Mm-hmm. Well. Like there's lots of things we can respond to that in, in terms of the economy. Like so, first, how, what counts as the economy on this island? Well, mm-hmm. a lot of productive activity takes place across the country that feeds into the economy, but the headquarters are based in London. Yes. So they file for tax in London. So the statistical evidence we have about like where economic activity takes place mm-hmm. is already biased by that very pyramid scheme. So you might have a company that's manufacturing goods in mm-hmm. in, in 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 Manchester, but its headquarters is in the city of London. So it files for tax in the city of London. So we don't actually have an accurate reading of economy in the UK anyway. The the second point about that is even with measures that we do have based on this period scheme, the North is still an economically viable state with a with a a, a per capita GDP roughly equivalent to Sweden. As is. Yes. It's uh, on the measures we have that are inaccurate. Yeah, um, on the existing wrong measures. Wrong measures. We which were already, it, in, if they're yeah. corrected, it would already be a better position. We're still yeah. one of the, like yeah. the strongest economies in the EU. Something like the seventy, something about the seventieth strongest country in the world. Yeah. Uh, um, so like it's just it's just not true. However, you look at it, that the North needs London. London also needs the North. It is, it's just deeply frustrating how it pulls talent away from everywhere. Like, yeah. um, I mean, I, I as a comedian, the, the, so many people just sort of have to move to London because that's where you yeah. have to be because that's where the opportunities are. Yeah. And, then, and then it gets retroactive of like, oh, you know, Lon- London's a place to be for comedy. And it's like, yeah. it becomes this like vicious cycle of yeah. just sucking talent yeah. away from everywhere yeah. else. What you're saying there reminds me, yeah. one of the very first interviews I did was with this uh, pretty melty independent journalist, right. independent, who said that, who's like, wrote like a sort of funny comedy piece about NIP when we just, I think we had like 5,000 mm. followers at that mm. point. You know, He like in his article said, maybe the solution to the North is if all these talented Northerners just stay there. I mean, we're uh-huh. not gonna, we're, like, I'm not gonna begrudge people moving away uh, because there are opportunities for them to exist <laughs> yeah. that, that aren't in the North. Like, I'm an academic. I I have to constantly move around. But yeah. it's, it's about access. It's because of all the investment and the infrastructure yeah. that exists in London. So, you know, I can talk specifically yeah. about the comedy industry, but it just copy pastes yeah. across everything of like, yeah. that's where TV production is. That is where, yeah. you know, little theatres and stuff like that. Yeah, you can stay in the North, but it's way, way harder because you might be there, but the infrastructure isn't yeah. sort of, you know, there's Media City in Manchester and stuff like that. Yeah. But still, it's like, okay, that building is there. The other one's HS2. You know, you're saying all the roads kind of go to London, like the rail network does as well. And obviously, you know, HS2 is really just about helping landlords because London's reached peak property prices, whereas Manchester's ramping up and that they've just seen an opportunity for more financialized growth without actually yeah. building a good economy because it's making it easier to commute to London. So it's just deepening that, um, that you know, it, the, the hold of London's tendrils uh, on the rest of the country. We can, we can take that transport question as well and look at how that manifested in the sort of north-south Twitter argument, which yes. is that people were kind of making fun of the fact that supporters of our party uh-huh. would like to have affordable transport. And that actually came from... <laughs> That came from a place of ignorance, I felt, yeah. because people seem to be saying that, oh, TfL is really expensive. I don't think they actually realize yeah, just yeah, how no insanely idea. expensive the buses and trains are. Yeah. Like when I was in Durham, if I wanted to go into New 
into into central Newcastle from my house in Durham. I think it was yeah. about ten pounds. Yeah, you know, like and a day rate for using TfL for the entire day is what like five six pounds something like this. Yeah, I mean it's more expensive and it's worse. And it's less frequent and yeah. none of it's connected up. So you can't get yeah. like, well, I think sometimes you can get a, like a bus ticket that's also a tram ticket, but it'd be yeah. well expensive. Yeah, we have it pretty well in the cities in, yes. in, in the north. Like Manchester's okay. Like getting around Newcastle, you've got the metro, it's okay. It's oh, yeah, okay when you, move out, word, yeah. when, you move, when you move out into the into the rural areas, which is where mm. the real poverty in the north is, yeah. you've got a bus, what, every hour, every two hours? Yeah. I mean, and then and then like some, there was a, a very good Twitter post actually where some guy was like, yeah, there's something particularly miserable about waiting for a bus that comes every two hours to take you to an Amazon warehouse where you pick for it, you know, like, and that's the Northern economy. When I, Um, uh, I mean, this is, this is North Wales, which has got many commonalities with uh, the North of England, but I used to work in Sainsbury's and the bus was every hour from the little village I lived in and the bus was well expensive. So I would have to basically, I would lose an hour either side of my actual shift um, yeah. waiting for this bus which sometimes wouldn't turn up and then drop me in a load of shit yeah. and, then, and then like so I'd, I'd lose an hour every side of my shift and then when I got to the job basically the first hour I worked was paying for my bus paying ticket paying for the bus yeah. Um, yeah and like oh just uh, I have never like, you know that was 10 years ago and I've still not got over it yeah. <laughs> but that's that's rife everywhere like as soon as you go out of the cities yeah. it's um, yeah. it's an absolute nightmare and not just for work as well like if you want to go out into town at night because then everything just shuts down after 11pm and you can see what that did that disinvestment in, in everything especially in transport is happening because of that broken economic relationship and it's mm. really just so important to be clear that in, that we're not just the most centralized country in Europe, like by a small degree. Yeah. We're 300% more wow. centralized than our nearest, according to studies conducted by the EU, that we, again were shared with me through, through mm. comrades in the SNP were showing me this. They you know, like, if you look at it, it's just, we're huge. It's a huge yeah. degree of absurdity in this country. Um, and, it, and it's not just like buses as well. It's, it's, it's like, People's life expectancy, like the yeah. life expectancy, um, like the big regions of the North have got yeah. the lowest life expectancy and the lowest life yeah. expectancy in England is in Blackpool. And people in the North gen- genuinely have less time on earth than people in the South because of this regional economic divide. If um, you look at that chart, it's just, it, you know, I know the one you're talking about. In the yeah. top, it's, it's the top, the top, the Northeast and the Northwest are red and then it gets slowly green, green meaning yeah. longer life as yeah. you move South. It's the clearest example mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. Of, of how that actually produces, you know, what academics would call structural violence. Yes. So there's a stru- Structural violence within the economic relationships in the UK. And that's the thing as well, is it's structural. And I think some people have taken it as like, we're having a go at individuals in London or something, if you yeah. say, and it's like, no, no, no. I, I, tried to, I tried to make that point with Ash Sarka, where mm. she, you know, she was like highlighting cheap property in, mm. uh, in cheap properties in the Lake District somewhere. So then I was talking about, like, my dad lives in Ferry Hill. Like, yeah. Ferry Hill in the northeast has the cheapest houses, I think, in the UK. You can get yes. a house there, two bedroom, for, like, £30,000 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was saying, like, why doesn't Navarra move to Ferry Hill? If it, if the, if the exactly. single if the single reason why people live in the places they do is the affordability of property, mm-hmm. move to Ferry Hill. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another reason not everyone is living in Ferry Hill. I think it was one of those things where, because Ash Shakar is generally excellent, and I think it was one yeah. of those things where it was just a lot of people on both sides were misunderstanding yeah. the essence of the point, which is that yeah. there's massive inequality and working class suffering all around the country, yeah. and a lot of it is a result of centralised vampire capitalism of London. 
Um, yeah. And it's like no, we event we eventually made up. We eventually yeah. made up in the, in the in the disagreement, and we and we and we agreed. It was, but there was still just you know because I'm on one side of it. I really yeah. felt there was a lot of like putting positions to us that we didn't have and it was really mm. like turning nip into a strong man saying that we're chippy you know like <laughs> why why is it chippy to want to yeah. talk chippy's funny but like why is it chippy <laughs> to want to talk about to yeah. want to talk about the north south divide why is that like it, it does exist right it's almost if people mm. think it doesn't actually exist or mm. that it's not important so like i saw other like People talking about like, oh, we're angry about how London has museums. Like, yeah. like the North South Divide is more than just museums, but museums also are important. Yeah. Like, you know what? The thing about the North is that it actually are museums. If we just talk about that, they contain a lot of working class history. Mm -hmm. Those museums being shut down is actually quite sad. For, um, for for people who might be interested in the history of working class struggle. So if you like Beamish does a great job in maintaining that um, in, in the Northeast. Um, People's History like, Museum in Manchester. People's exactly, always under threat, People's History Museum. These things are like actually important if you care about the working class struggle. And yeah. And also the history of the history of the working class is so intertwined with the history of the North. Just, just so at the start, just just for listeners' context of like, a, I don't yeah. know how much people know that like kind of regional divide, but uh, basically because the South of England is flat, it could be farmed, so it was much more yeah. agrarian. Like you know, kind of putting putting London aside, the North very hilly, absolute horror show, and not as good for that stuff. But then suddenly the Industrial Revolution happens, and then underneath those hills that are a nightmare to farm, they go, hold on, what's this coal? This is quite yeah. good, and all these rivers, <laughs> these are quite good. Um, so. Yeah. And that enabled the sort of industrial revolution. So, you know, the North's got a lot to apologise for in terms of like bringing about industrialised capitalism. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so maybe we need to, maybe actually as soon as the North gets independence, we need to do reparations to the entire planet. But... Oh. There's even more than that. But, there's but, even more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Of like, oh, there's coal, there's water. Hold on. What yeah. are we going to make? Cotton. Oh, we yeah. can't grow cotton here. Where's that come from? Um, yeah. So, you know, the North was the beating heart of the Industrial Revolution. Um, yeah. And up until the start of the 20th century, it was sort of 50-50 of, of the North of England's, in terms of GDP in England, it was pretty even between the North and South. So you've got that one stage yeah. of like industrialization and the North brings about, to the one cent, this sort of factory-owning capitalist class. And at the same time, yeah. The working class and the working class movement, which were in stuff that's erased from history of like the, the working class in Sheffield, steel workers were at the forefront of the fight against slavery. And, you know, the Manchester cotton worker strike, uh, predominantly yeah. women workers as well, which should be noted in the, the cotton mills, who went on strike in, sol you know, putting themselves in starvation in solidarity with black African-American slaves in the, you know, halfway across the world. There's that stage of kind of Northern history. And then there's the, the second stage, which is effectively the class war waged by the Thatcher government against the North, which then mm. consequently deindustrialized the North, which had huge economic and cultural impacts, which was the, the North is still reeling from. Sweet Britain clean of socialism. Not about a good, not about, I put a stake through her heart and garlic around her neck to make sure she never come back. Isn't that a pretty horrible thing to say when her funeral's going on right now? Too bad, too bad. There's an earlier period of history, because I've just been reading uh, Dan Jackson's book, The Northumbrians. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, while I, there's so, so, some quite weird arguments in that mm. book around, like, long-running historical effects on contemporary culture. You know, I'm an anthropologist, I kind of yeah, disagree yeah, with yeah. some of those bits. But he also draws attention to the earlier, pre, uh, prior to the Industrial Revolution, what mm. was the North? Well, it was, an, it was a military frontier. Yeah. Northern lives were sort of expendable lives, able to protect those wealthy southern farm farmlands mm. from yeah, yeah. a Scottish invasion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he remarks, it's kind of amusing as well, that, like, at, like whenever I go out with 
Scottish people, I feel a sense of affinity with them and yeah, there's yeah. a similarity in our cultures and our attitudes. Yet nonetheless, we were at war for generations and generations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe let's talk about the problem of uh, Northern Tories. So like, mm. is there not a chance that it, you know, like, if you got Northern independence, you'd end up with Diana Davidson as like, elected Queen of the North or something in 2030? So there's a few responses you can make to that. Like the first yeah. is that we're an independence movement. Uh -huh. So obviously that's, a possibility because yeah. we want to have de we want to have a, a, a new country in the north of England mm -hmm. where there will be elections and mm -hmm. the people in the north will be free to choose and stand for different parties and there is a possibility and we're, because we're concerned with independence first mm -hmm. and foremost we have to accept that mm -hmm. but second of all you know if you look at if you look at even 2019 there's this great lie that the red wall was broken which is right. like a masterstroke of Tory uh, propaganda when actually yeah like a few seats did actually change hands but overall still massively proportionally north of the Humber votes for Labour votes mm -hmm. left we can say mm -hmm. I mean our policy proposals are firmly you know within the sort of democratic socialist tradition and yeah. we would try our best to convince people in the north of England that you know socialism is not only it's not just something that we desire you know ideologically mm. to address the century old north south divide the only way you can do that is through policies that would yeah. be classified as socialist like forms of nationalization and, and what have you but the only way we can really start to address that um for instance like we support you know a green industrial rebirth which would require high levels of state intervention in order mm. to generate this new potential space for um uh, green tech manufacturing manufacturing yeah. renewable energy like that would actually require policies that might be classed as socialist but yeah. through necessity not through ideological choice um so yeah there are those possibilities but we're an independence movement you know like if, if scotland gains independence there might be scottish right-wingers you know yeah. like these are these are the possibilities of building a state you accept that and then after we gain independence we have to reform as a left-wing party that tries to stop that happening uh, we are a left-wing nationalist party we mm -hmm. don't want to have um we, we, we're not like a you know we're not a yes cymru you know we are we have we do stand for a particularly progressive policies like, obviously yes cymru are great mm -hmm. but they're a campaign group for independence we're a, we're a political party for independence mm -hmm. we're closer i guess you can see us to the smp or or Plaid Cymru or something like that. Well, is there is there not a problem of Wales and Scotland are easier to think of as nations, whereas because it's it's been a while, you know, we talk about yeah. Northumbria. Um, <laughs> is is there a sense of an a, Nor a Northumbrian or North English nationalism mm -hmm. in the same way as those Wales and Scotland or Ireland? Um, yeah. Like how you know do you see yourself addressing that problem? So like in the cultural imagination, I definitely think there is a sort of notion of the northerner. And yeah. the, I mean, as a northerner in London, whenever I meet other northerners, we share a basic sense of humor, culture, experiences, ideas. Like there is a sense of shared solidarity there that when I meet someone who's from Kensington or whatever, I don't, yeah. I mean, that's probably also class-based, but I don't necessarily <laughs> feel the same sense of affinity. Yeah. But also it's true that, that you know, we don't have a language. Mm -hmm. So we're not like Welsh, Welsh nationalism makes sense through sort of linguistic forms of nationalism. Mm -hmm. Scotland has a, I mean, Scotland's history, the, the North, the North has gone through the same sort of wave of violent suppression from the South. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it never gave birth to, or it never sedimented within this like strong separatist movement, which is kind yeah. of curious if you consider like when you, when you talked through that history earlier, that seems to me like a sort of shared antagonism towards mm -hmm. Westminster, which you could imagine ought to transfer into a sort of separatist, uh, anti-unionist position, mm -hmm. but it didn't. And that's kind of curious why that didn't actually happen. 
until now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's one of the things Alex Niven says in uh, his yeah. excellent book of, um, he just basically talks about, oh, it's been really grim for ages, but no one really does yeah. anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of sit down and take it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact Alex, phrase. Alex but... is a critical comrade of NIP, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should invent a language, like a Northern yeah. English Esperanto. Well, remember that Cumbriac dialects are yeah. pretty close to being a language, actually, mm. and... Uh, there is, I think there's Cumbriac has some some um, connections with Welsh actually as a, as a as a distinct language, and obviously there are like um, Norse and Viking inflected expressions in in, in Northern, but it, I mean that's more dialect than it is accent. But Cumbriac comes close to being a language. Um, what about um, the sort of dull practical problems like um, what currency would you use if you got Northern yeah. independence? Would you take on a certain percentage of the Westminster debt? Uh, mm-hmm. Would we, you know, I think we should go to like a Viking bullion economy. Uh, where it's like <laughs> Bring back the bullion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although then you wouldn't be able to do MMT and just print money yeah. <laughs> uh, to fund a green industrial revolution. But It's a really practical and important question. And the economics like side of the party are always like debating it and thinking mm-hmm. it through because you've got so many options you know you can Westminster says you can't use a pound you say whatever I'm going to use it yeah. <laughs> and then you can't really do anything about it yeah. you can make your own currency and you can peg it to the pound yeah. um, or you can make your own currency and not peg it and they mm-hmm. all have different positives and negatives as to what it would do for the for, for the country I think my, my sense is that in the initial phase you just use the pound and Westminster can do whatever they want they can say no but we'll still use it mm-hmm. but obviously having your own currency does give you a greater degree of control over how the economy will develop and that would be something that we would look look towards building within the next within the first like five ten years mm-hmm. of independence when it comes to taking on the debt we would just say no I guess <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. this is all about remember this is all about the politics of, of the of the possible right yeah, so yeah. People, when, we, when we're planning these things out we're trying to imagine what what is possible within the current terms that we have before us on this island mm-hmm. and just what would happen if we actually turned around and said we're not taking on any of that debt and mm-hmm. we're keeping the pound and you can't do anything about it and we're sort of challenging and provoking all these ideas that are like kept as like things that have to remain present forever mm-hmm. so you know the notion that you have to pay your debt as, as David Graeber begins you know yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the book debt he's like well why do you have to always pay your debt <laughs> <laughs> why can't we just say no what yeah. will happen then <laughs> Have you got a strategy to deal with, let's say, the property owning boomers? You know, the sort of, uh, you know, the wall of gammon of the guy shouting at Corbyn because he, yeah. nu- he won't nuke Iran. Um, yeah. I mean, would, would an independent North have its own <laughs> independent nuclear deterrent? Um, but I mean, I, I, like, I'm half joking, but then I'm also, you know, like if you look at the stats, you said, you know, you mentioned the Red Wall before, which I do agree is a bullshit term invented in 2019 yeah. by the brainwormed, boot-looking commentariat. But yeah. 28 of 58 seats gained by the Tories were in the North. Yeah. Um, there were, and also overwhelmingly leave voting seats. Labour held on to places like Manchester and Liverpool with its 2019 yeah. platform, but got decimated yeah. in places like, like Doncaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, like Bishop Auckland, I mentioned Diana Davison before, mining community big swing to the tories and if you look at it it's it you know we talked about property prices being cheaper up here but even if your house was cheap uh, you still owning that house and thinking of it as an asset still changes your behavior mm-hmm. um and the thing you know like in places i said you know like labor in 2019 held on in places like manchester and liverpool because a lot of those areas are people who are in their 20s and 30s yeah. and are renting and then the places yeah. where it collapsed were home owning um, 50, 60 year olds 
even if the houses were cheaper than they, they, they yeah. would be in London. On on paper, they'd be, you know, those people would probably be labeled as working class if we use that stupid alphabet soup system of, you know, defining class. Numerically, you need to get those people on side to create the mm-hmm. sort of critical mass needed mm-hmm. for a sort of northern independence movement. So, how do you get those people to vote for you in the first stage? I imagine for like council seats. So, how does the Northern Independence yeah. Party, the sort of dis- I think disaffected ex Labour people who are pissed off with Starmer, that's like you know the obvious people you might pick up. But uh, how do you pick up like you know uh, some of these gammony types who may well voted Labour in 2017 on that on that socialist mm-hmm. platform how do how mm-hmm. do you get them to vote for the nip one of the most radical not what they call you know a non-reformist reform that, yeah. that margaret thatcher carried out it's like turning these people into property owners yes. like my granddad is a is a property owner he bought his council house mm-hmm. um he threatened to vote tory because of brexit but he didn't yeah. after i had several phone conversations with him about it um so <laughs> yeah, yeah well done. But, i mean he, he was yeah. voting in crook in yeah. northwest durham <laughs> so that's laura pidcock seat oh, so oh, my granddad's support oh, <laughs> oh, it, it didn't really help yeah yeah so but you know i agree with the analysis mm. that, that, that that's one of that's that's a challenge the second mm. part of your analysis that needs to be like fleshed out is mm. that brexit was obviously one of the things that made those traditional labor mm. voters who own their houses might have considered voting tory in 2017 yeah. but nonetheless brexit wasn't such a big thing but mm. then when it got to 2019 they were willing to do that so the first yeah. thing that we would have if we could go back in time and we existed <laughs> then yeah we wouldn't ever we would have not um uh, allowed like captain remain to come in and, and wreck the party keir starmer we would have pushed that people were away. saying this yeah yeah <laughs> i mean like it's just it's yeah exactly like People, the, the the MPs I like in the Labour Party, yeah. like you know, this is going to sound obvious, but Ian Lavery, for yeah, instance, yeah, I like yeah, Ian yeah, Lavery yeah, a lot. And John Trickett, yeah, yeah. they were they were the ones saying, you know, like this is going to happen, mm-hmm. this is going to happen. I was hearing from people campaigning in Laura's constituency that every door they went to, they were yes. hearing the same thing. And then I would tell people in London, and they were like, "Oh, it'll be fine." These uh, are the Labour activists. Oh, it'll yeah, be fine. yeah, yeah. And I was just getting more and more pissed off because I think my position on that is that every time Boris Johnson said, get Brexit done, Labour mm-hmm. should have been saying, get Brexit right. And then yeah, tried yeah, to turn, exactly. spin, spin that radical promise that you talked about, that these people maybe in 2017 yeah. would actually quite like the idea of having mm-hmm. decently funded hospitals, yep. good education, decent public transport, yep. and said that this is what a Labour Brexit looks like. Mm-hmm. This is Bre- And we would never, Labour would never have lost their super urban majorities mm-hmm. because people there are voting for other material interests, such as being renters. Yep. So that would have been... So that, so when we're talking about what will we do mm-hmm. in a general election, what are the issues people will care about? I think that, again, the North-South divide to begin with mm-hmm. isn't going to change under Boris Johnson. Although mm-hmm. there's that talk of leveling up, what yeah. we actually see is like the moment COVID-19 comes, mm-hmm. that's actually the first people to be sacrificed are Northerners mm-hmm. and all of that investment is now channeling away from the North. So that basic material level on which support for sort of left or progressive or socialist policies mm. isn't changing. Mm. But then there's another point, and this is another thing that we're quite active in the party about, is that, and I understand that Labour is now pushing away, mm. is that we have lost a lot of the infrastructure within which support for those parties was built. For mm. instance, trade union power, traditional yeah. forms of manual employment, industrial work. And instead, what we need to do is do new coalition building. Mm. So we mm. need community organizing. Mm. We need to take small local issues and work with people to try and improve those small elements of people's everyday lives. So like mm. libraries shutting down in the north, you know, like I, we want to see people from NIP 
RIP there offering direct support to those campaigns to try and like build these new coalitions around the sort of the way in which the North South divide manifests, which Mm -hmm. is that we lose all these valuable pieces of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So like one of the ways we'll do that is like, yeah, people care about their properties. Of course they do. Right. They also care about a hospital shutting down. So like, let's stop that hospital shutting down. Mm -hmm. Let's build these new coalitions around like uh, trying to respond to in a sort of mutual aid way the things that are, uh, are we're under the pressure under pressure from in the north but yeah i mean like it's completely true that we've got to be wary of these northern tories and mm. i just don't think you get you i don't think the correct way to deal with them is by shagging the flag even harder <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i don't think they i think people see through it actually yeah. and also they not only do they see through it like they don't actually care that much about the flag. No, like, no. It's the weirdos in the north. Yeah. It's the weirdos. Like we said, if you see that, if you see the flag on there, that's yeah. a nutcase. Uh, yeah, um, that's a nutcase. Like, like literally, one of the houses next to my mum's house that has it has got the flag. Then it's got all of these like cuddly monkeys hanging on ropes as well. <laughs> I'm like, who is this weirdo? Yeah. And why is Labour going after them? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Why is this like the main voter with a yeah. six foot poppy? Yeah. So, the, yeah, yeah, poppies, flags, and then stuffed toys on strings dangling out their window. This mad person is yeah. the is the Labour target demographic. Well, it's now, the total right? failure. Like, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> what you're doing sounds to me sounds like a lot of the stuff that the best aspects of the Labour project in terms of community activism and the promises of the 2017 manifesto and like bringing that kind of stuff back and addressing. I mean, stuff like the the Labour Council in Preston, the Preston model, if there's a chance that the Northern Independence Party can position itself as something that can achieve that in new, you know, a lot of other towns and a lot of other cities, strategically, the Northern Independence Party could make huge gains in councils promising that that kind of stuff, despite the obvious kind of infrastructure and money disadvantages compared to the established parties. But like, realistically, do you think you can ever extract a northern referendum from Westminster, a northern um, independence referendum? Especially after, aren't they just going to point to 2004 and say, oh, you know, there was, I know that was a northeast independence thing. Yeah. But, uh, and they're going to yeah, point to yeah. and say, like, oh, there's no point in this. Or yeah. is, is the idea well, just uh, build up critical mass through council elections and things like that? Um, I don't the, know. So, like, the 2004 one, I like, there was no point in that. That was pointless. Yeah. It wasn't, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it wasn't, expe- like, I know Dominic Cummings ran the campaign against that, but like, yeah sorry, that was just an expensive talking shop and it would have been entirely yeah. pointless and it was used to like fob off the Northeast. Like mm-hmm. the Northeast ca- does not need another expensive talking shop. It, mm-hmm. What it needs is like substantial material investment. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, obviously like, I'm from the Northeast and I care a lot about it because it's yeah. the, it is the most impoverished region in England. Yes. And you, I just see it getting worse all the time. But um, like what, like our strategy for winning council elections, yeah, it's totally based on the Preston model. Like mm-hmm. we're great fans of that. That's exactly the sort of like, uh, approach we want to take um we're hyper localists like mm-hmm. we really when we gain independence one of the promises um that we'd have is that we want to federalize the a, a northumbrian state yeah so we would want to increase the power of local authorities massively and like would, would westminster give us a a referendum it obviously is going to take years and years and years to build up the party to the point where we are starting to win mps but when we do we could potentially first of all we're going to exert we're going to exert power over Labour, hopefully, if we start to threaten in like key Labour constituencies that they need to maintain in the North. So we can threaten them and push them, maybe not towards a referendum, but to actually like having a serious plan about winning, about like rebuilding the North in a way that is more equitable, fair, and is able to hold its own against the the hyper-centralization. So like the referendum is a goal, but we also have that opportunity to place that pressure. But if you get to a point where we are now winning MPs, like so... Uh, at that point, if 
we are required to go into a coalition, mm-hmm. then obviously the, the price of that is the referendum. Yeah. So we, we will only do that if we are given the referendum. That's it. We're not going to settle for devolution. We're not going to settle for like any like Northern assemblies or any of that crap. Like mm-hmm. the cost of a, of a, of a coalition with the, with the Northern Independence Party will be a referendum on Northern Independence. And, and, and that's what people will know if they vote for us. That's what we are. That is our single biggest platform. Yes, we want to defend the interests and enhance the quality of life for people in the North. But the objective of the party is first and foremost a referendum. Do you think that the Tories position themselves as we're going to address the material needs of the you know, red wall, yeah. um, the yeah. idea that these Tory MPs who have now, have now got Northern constituencies in any way actually feel obliged to help the people that have elected them. Like, so, so obviously, you know, formerly there was the Northern powerhouse thing, which was a Tory project, but it was actually all the money yeah. pretty much came from the EU, um, yeah. from like European Union structural funds. Um, yeah. you know, it's something like the EU created something like 70,000 jobs, uh, yeah. between 2007 and 2013. But do you think we're going to see any attempt at investment in the North to try to consolidate these gains? Um, that then could undercut the the strategy of trying to address these material needs. Like, mm. um, do, because before the crisis, that is what this Tory party looked, was positioning itself, perhaps not really, but in terms of its spin was going like, we're going to yeah. invest in the North. Like, how worried yeah. are you about the Tories doing that? Like, I care about the North. So if the Tories actually did that, I would be happy about that. <laughs> yeah. like, if they, if they, like, if the result of like, Corbynism was that yeah. we produced these policies within the Tory party where mm. they do actually improve the lives uh-huh. of people from our region. I'm not opposed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. But I, uh, but I, I just don't, be- obviously I don't believe for a second that they're going to do that. I think they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll be potentially what their strategy will be is they'll be like a sort of showy type mm. of thing. They'll be like, you know, moving television center, that yeah. type exact same thing, but maybe like, Putting some more elements of like um, infrastructure mm. in the uh, of like um, state infrastructure in the north, like you know, maybe you've got, you've got the passport authority in Durham, or maybe move something else up to the north because that's one of the major employers now is yeah. actually government work. They'll do something like that, but it won't actually lead to massive changes in people's lives. So what they'll do is they'll do the showy thing, mm-hmm. and then they'll also just pump up the sort of like racisty, bigoty type of flaggy rhetoric as well, yeah. and that's how they'll try and ensure that base. Uh, I've got another melty question, which is going to send you under. Um, but I'm going to ask it. Um, how worried are you about splitting the left vote and letting the Tories in? Well, I don't think voting for Labour now is even a left vote, so I'm not worried at all. <laughs> like, that's the, it's not a left vote anyway, is it? It's, it's just, I mean, what does that mean, letting the Tories in? Labour Party have let the Tories in. The, 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 now Labour Party have Keir Starmer is a Tory, mm. right? So I don't mm. see this problem. And also, on top of that, I, dis- I really despise this idea that somehow... Northerners owe their vote to the Labour Party when it's like systematically screwed them over. I don't think we do owe the Labour Party our vote. They definitely don't have a monopoly on socialism. Mm-hmm. They bet they barely even you know the, the periods in which the Labour Party has been socialist is is minuscule. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Is that can't have a monopoly on something you're not even selling. Don't have. Right? Yeah, yeah. We, the le- we are the left vote in the North now. Like the, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we would stand. We would stand aside for like we would obviously consider standing aside for like certain Labour MPs that are like uh-huh. I wouldn't feel confident or comfortable running against Ian Leary or Laura, yeah, yeah, Laura yeah. Pidcock if they ran again, or, or like certain MPs in like Liverpool or whatever. What have you got? What are you thinking about in terms of media strategy? Because it is certainly possible for 
at small parties to get this like to have a big impact i mean just look yeah. at ukip right and yeah. then what they achieved is completely you know amazing in terms of yeah. um you know what what just strategically uh yeah. but to an extent ukip's different from the nip in the sense that it was backed by factions of capital and factions of the yeah. media who found yeah. them extremely useful for their agenda and i yeah. suspect given that Northern Independence Party is a democratic socialist party, it's less likely to be treated how UKIP is and more likely to be treated how the Corbyn project was, which was, yeah. as you said earlier in all your interviews, you were, you know, it's almost treated as like a, a joke piece rather than an actual yeah. serious um, political yeah. project. We're both, by the way, we are a joke and we're serious. We're the dialectic, baby. But like how, how like what what's your media strategy? Because you know stuff like the Sun is still the biggest selling newspaper in the north. Well, so far the media just keeps coming to us, so we're doing pretty well. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, I, I was on ITV and stuff, yeah. um, but I've got um, we've got another ITV thing coming up. Like so, basically people are coming to us, and yeah, and it, it's not it. We serve the agenda of the mm -hmm. news at the moment because yes. of all of the attention on the breakup of the UK. Okay. So we're a bit like now, uh, Scotland wants independence. Mm -hmm. And in other news, so does the North. We're filling okay. that like, and in other news bits. So we're yeah. going to be part, I think, of a documentary on ITV soon, actually, about the breakup of the UK. Mm -hmm. um, so that we're doing okay on that. Obviously, um, when it comes to like left media, um, we haven't yet been invited on like Navarra or anything mm -hmm. like that, which mm -hmm. I think, well, I personally think is a problem because Navarra is obviously far too London centric. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that we need a new left media definitely. Um, but our social media is one of the big strategies that we have and our social media has really like filled that gap around, you know, like Labour's social media strategy at the moment is abysmal. Oh, uh, whereas, God. whereas we're like punchy, a yeah. bit rude. Um, confrontational <laughs> and we don't look or sound like other political parties which yeah. is obviously a strategy and it's deliberate and it works to a degree and we're a members driven party we have mm -hmm. some income we're not mm -hmm. we're not we're not wealthy enough to like run our own newspapers or anything like that mm -hmm. so we'll just so we'll keep going with social media community building and then hopefully we're such a novel idea that we will get some of that press attention mm -hmm. um, we need to get on question so, time and start saying the maddest stuff possible yeah yeah no that does that does help and like yeah. we're also like we've taken positions that like other parties just refuse to take like yeah. we're un we're unashamedly like defending trans rights which is yes. apparently controversial so like even doing that gets us attention mm -hmm. and it's good for us to get attention mm -hmm. that way because it's weird on this island that defending the rights of yeah. these people is considered controversial and especially like you know people would say on that question they'll say to us you know why are you talking about this and i'm like because there are trans people in the north mm -hmm. like again like it is yeah. possible to break through on these issues because no one else will talk about them. Nice. But yeah, we haven't got a fully formed strategy, basically. I'm just, at the moment, I'm just letting the media, we're going to start doing press releases soon. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, got, we have got yeah. a press office, um, but at the moment, I'm just get, I just get press emails quite frequently, actually. So we're oh, that's good messages. that there's some interest. There's interest because of the yeah. SNP and because, because yeah. people want to be like, you know, we're a bit funny and mm -hmm. odd, mm -hmm. but underlying it as well is that question of the north-south divide mm -hmm. and there are quite you know there are quite a few northerners in the media mm -hmm. who work in london mm -hmm. and are a bit angry about the north-south divide anyway and are sort of like pushing us onto so like the people i spoke to in itv or from liverpool or whatever they put us on because they actually do also care about the issues we stand for <laughs> i just like the idea that you focused on posting um, yeah. you could be the northern independence party secretly 
the shit post party. <laughs> no, no, oh, completely. And I say, to, I say to people who talk about that, like people, certain like people on the left who yeah, obviously yeah. don't actually do anything themselves or like, uh-huh. oh, you're just a Twitter party. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is actually a pandemic yeah. at the moment. So it is actually kind of difficult to get out into people's communities right now and do other things. Second second of all, if you say people are just a shitpost party, would you go back in time and say like a 19th century party is just a printing mm. press party? Mm. Like Twitter is incredibly important for building a party at the moment in the present environment. And it doesn't, you can actually shock, do both. You can do both. <laughs> he Twitch streaming as well. Yeah. DM, yeah. I, yeah. I hate that shit. The idea that like yeah. just putting something on your phone that takes five seconds means that you're not doing something else. It's like, yeah, absolutely. And also shit, you know, like the stuff the Black Panthers were putting out about, you know, they came yeah. up with calling the police pigs guys um, yeah. in like your media output. That's like easily consumable quality provocative and funny is good and does not prevent you and is not mutually exclusive from doing other stuff but like you say in a pandemic maybe it's even maybe it's actually important to be doing and the um, other thing that I find strange about it is to mention David Graeber again it's like mm. you know that his his like final book you know Bullshit Jobs right what is a form of labour a lot of people are doing it's look busy work Mm -hmm. right so a lot of people actually don't have the time or capacity or space to go out and do like full-time political mobilizing. But what they can do is when they're looking busy, yeah. go on to twi- Twitter, <laughs> go to NIP and retweet yeah. our content. So yeah. actually that's what politics looks like in relation to what the labor market looks like now mm-hmm. as well. So I just don't, I just, yeah, I think it's just such a cheap position when people feel that. I mean, I should point out that we've, uh, we have now a lot of people say, you're not, you're not even registered with the electoral commission, right? Those people who say that, first of all, you don't actually have to be registered with the electoral commission unless you plan to stand an election. You can be mm-hmm. stand an election. You can be a political party without being registered. Mm-hmm. We're registered with Companies House, which is which is a thing. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> we are now registered or in the process yes. of being registered with the electoral commission. So we are now on the web page as a party coming up for review for registration. So all things being fine, we'll be registered and ready to stand in the elections in May. We made the deadline, <sighs> and the reason to be clear to anyone listening who's been posting this stuff about us, the reason why we took so long is that every document we submitted went before our like various decision making Mm -hmm. bodies within the party so we voted on like the constitution we voted on all of the financial documents everything was uh was done democratically um as we did the registration process what you didn't do it all with behind the scenes rat fucking maneuvering against each other (laughs) no it was all out in the open what questions voting reforming google docs all online uh, Radical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. The Northern Independence yeah. Party. It exists. It, 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 it exists officially. It's a thing. Yeah. State sanctioned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we will event- Yeah, I am worried eventually we'll get sanctions. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing sedition is no longer a crime. Well, yeah. It, it was removed as a crime, yeah. Well, the SMP got compared, the, the Tories compared the SMP to the Viet Cong this weekend. Yeah. So uh, oh. maybe you could should aspire to that. <laughs> And then actually tool up and obliterate them. (laughs) Uh, Joke in Minecraft. (laughs) They should be, they should be wary about that. You know, like one of the stereotypes that's true about the North is that we are all well hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I think I've seen one glass in a year in my time in the North. Yeah. Or attempted. Yeah. (laughs) I got married in the North and Mm. on our, like, uh, the party afterwards, like one of my friends from America got glassed. Whoa. (laughs) And then I was like, one of us, one of us. (laughs) 
Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Molly and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony, you know, off the Hovis advert. Thank you, Philip, for coming on the show. If you'd like to find out more about the Northern Independence Party, check out freethenorth.co.uk. As always, thanks for listening and big thanks to those of you who share episodes on social media or support the podcast on Patreon. Hope you're okay. Do it all right.